Woohoo! Just got out of the water test testing my new Kobe Plus Yamamoto. Yeah, pretty and wetsuit. Pretty much the best wetsuit I've ever had. Picked it up at the boardroom show. Thank you very much. Best best surf event on earth. Got to see all the legends. But this Kobe Plus Yamamoto, ah, it's so silky smooth. It felt so warm. It was overcast. And it's just the best tall guy. But the best thing about this wetsuit, easy entry, easy exit. You know what I'm talking about. Through the shoulders, there's like this overlap rubber kind of section that makes it easy because you know i got huge wide shoulders way bigger than your shoulders so you wouldn't understand but for me i love this wetsuit it's so silky smooth and i was so warm out there thank you kobe plus yamamoto and thank you david lee scales and scott Bass. wow that's super cool and frankly that's the experience i have super buttery super warm super flexible it's all part of the evolution i mean things get better with time you know what i mean like you (laughs) thank you Thank you. Um, yeah. I would like to think that that's true. I'm not sure that it entirely is. Um, I think I got more cynical with age is what it is, whereas our wetsuits have not. Our wetsuits have only gotten better. That's an um, interesting thing, really. We need to touch on that. Okay, let, let's come back to it. Let's focus <laughs> no. on Okay, go ahead. <laughs> um, so colbyplus.com Colby. is uh, Colby, C-O-L-B-Y plus.com it's yamamoto wetsuit uh yamamoto rubber and it's inexpensive less way less expensive than traditionally you've been accustomed to uh paying for it but the fit is the key thing for me as well like we can all agree wetsuits have just gotten better warmer uh, more kind of pliable and softer and comfortable all that but the fit is better and like the caller was saying it's uh easier in an entry and out but also the way that it fits um everywhere else it just feels almost like it was tailored to me and so i don't know if everybody would have that experience but that's the way that my medium tall fits me so yeah no i'm look i'm a big fan um as i mentioned i've been wearing mine religiously and uh it's smooth and warm and flexible and easy to get in and out of it's all of these things it's really i couldn't be happier yeah Awesome. Well, thank you, ColbyPlus.com, and then also RealWaterSports.com. I mean, they've been with us for a long time. They are they are one of the kind of preeminent surfboard dealers on in America. They're based out of North Carolina, but they can ship surfboards anywhere in the world. They have a fifteen hundred board inventory, and that's just surfboards, by the way. They're equally as adept at foil uh, foil boards, windsurf gear. Uh, they're kind of the experts, and their staff of employees are a lot of former professional athletes in their discipline. And so they're experts on all of the gear so they can kind of guide you into exactly what you need. Yeah. Look, real water sports for all of your hard goods needs and frankly, soft goods as well. Totally. You know, it's a full service surf shop. And I mean, full service, like no other surf shop I've ever been to because there's food, there's beverage, there's lessons, there's gear, there's insight. And um, it's a beautiful place, man, right on the water in North Carolina. What's not to love about real water sports? And 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 frankly, Trip and Matt and his the whole crew there are have become friends of ours. So I'm super psyched on the place. Yeah, top notch. Nothing but positive feedback too from listeners who have purchased from them. So realwatersports.com. Thank you so much. As we 
see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. Uh, when it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. You know what, David? Yeah, guy. That's what I say. That's what I say to you, my friend, dear citizen. Yeah, guy. It is Thursday, October 26th. It's 7 a.m. in the morning, David. It's early. I like it early. I'm an early riser. I've been up for a couple of hours already. And um, yeah, we're talking all things surf. Good morning. Good morning to you. Yes. We used to record at seven o'clock pretty regularly, but um, now that I have dad duties, Childcare doesn't show up till eight. So now we usually record at eight, but today we have a packed day. So we're doing it early. Did you want to follow up on the philosophical talk about becoming more cynical when you, when you hate well, it? It's, it's interesting. Like, I guess what I'm saying is, although I too have sometimes experienced being more cynical as I get older, I think what we should strive for is being more graceful as we get older and mm-hmm. just sort of um, embrace getting older and not looking at things with, you know, get off of my lawn. I told you so, but rather, wow, that's interesting. Maybe I can learn from that. Yeah. <laughs> You're not buying I, it. <laughs> You're like, whatever, dude. No, I agree with you in philosophy, but the more, I don't, I don't know who pointed this out to me at some point when I was growing up, but like the more you try not to be, like your parents or whatever it happens to be, the more you kind of grab it, you, the core of you kind of gravitates towards that. And so I wonder if almost don't put any, any energy in it at all, you know, just kind of the more you think about it and try to pull away from it, there's a gravitational pull towards it. I'm not sure. Huh. All right. Well, all I'm saying is uh, I'm going to try my damnedest yes. to not be cynical. Okay. Um, it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel the funny thing is I do feel more enlightened and released of a lot of things that would have hung me up in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. Yet when I see, I don't know what dude, somebody drives by me, Austin's trying to fall asleep. Somebody drives by me blasting their music out of their lifted truck, you know? Oh yeah. I just look at them. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, but wait a minute, why does the truck being lifted have anything to do with this story? I like to paint a picture with my words, okay? So <laughs> specificity helps. And when you okay. go for an extreme example, it tends to be funnier. Okay. Um, well, that that actually, the re- to answer your question, the reason why is because who is this for? Like that truck, the whole purpose of lifting a truck or even having a truck like that is to ride drive it off roads. You are supposed to be off roading. That thing's never been off the four hundred five freeway. So <laughs> you know why, why are you blasting your music and why are you driving that truck? Why are you doing anything? This is all a show for somebody else, and all that you're doing is waking up my sleeping child. Now, let me ask you this: Should yeah. there be a some sort of sound legislation or audio legislation or or like legislation that makes it so on the roadways you can't have your music blaring or even frankly your motor like a harley davidson those super loud harley davidson should there okay you agree with this that no, we no, should no. a legislation <laughs> some sort of legislation what i'm just no i meant i agree I, ag- I said i agree i meant that 
those Harleys are the most annoying of all. But to answer your question, no, we should not have a legislate uh, legislate noise. A law. No right. law. You don't want to be able to have that guy pulled over for having his car being too loud. I do not. So and in theory, you're welcome to every car to just be super, super loud, just cranking their music. The, it, my own idiosyncrasy is exactly what we're talking about. And I understand that it doesn't, um, it only applies to me. And so it'd be very difficult for everybody to fall in line. But what I want is decorum. And I want people in society to have the same sensitivities that I have so that we all behave in a respectful way and we can all coexist. So I want that person to, I want everybody to be able to play whatever music they want at whatever level they want, as long as it doesn't impinge upon the rest of society's, uh, I don't know. Liberty. Yeah, li liberty, liberty, but also this serenity. Really question of, well, this is a question about liberty because this guy wants to have the freedom to crank his music and you want the freedom to not have to hear that music if you don't want to hear it. And so we have I, a conflict of liberty. Correct, but I don't want government to legislate every little detail like that yeah exactly but so you're what is that for civility and it's not happening there's not going to be civility when you just have this many egos people, <laughs> exactly this many people living in a cramped area you're just not you're going to have more and more complications essentially is what it is but that brings us back to the very beginning is as i age um i have more sensitivities like that or i expect things to be the way that maybe they were when I was young, but it's gotten so crowded. It gets more and more crowded and it becomes more and more diverse. So the crowd is full of more and more personalities and different types of people. And so all of that becomes confusing to me and ultimately butts up against what I, my sensitivities are, you know? All right. Well, where are you, by the way? This doesn't look like your house. Are you on it the is. road? No, oh. no, I'm home. Time to move um, to Florida, it sounds like, for David. Yeah. Before um, we move into too much surf talk, I want to recommend a couple of books that I've been reading. I just finished a book called Blood and Thunder. I don't know if I've told you about this. No. Epic story of Kit Carson and the conquest of the American West hmm. by a great author, Hampton Sides, who I've read some of his books before. So Blood and Thunder. It's incredible story of how, where you live and where I live, how it came to be. And I think it's fascinating. I've always wondered that, you know, like I understand about the East coast. Okay. We came over in the Mayflower, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But the West coast, you know, and I know of course, manifest destiny, we, you know, we, we moved westward, but there was people here before us and it kind of talks about how we handled that situation. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's very fascinating, but and I'm now reading a book called The Splendid and the Vile about 1940 Britain, England, and the oncoming assault of Germany. And it focuses on Winston Churchill. And it's really a cool book. I'm digging it. Really digging it. Interesting. Yeah. World history buff. Well, I'm just trying to take it all in. Yeah. Good for you. Um. I've got a call from Shukin that I would like to play that was a, a very delightful surprise to receive from him a couple of weeks ago. Should I play that for you to kick off the show? Absolutely. Let's hear since, from him. Since we're on the kind of conversation about um, philosophy. Yeah. Um, Shukin's, Shukin's, 
Yeah, he is. So Shukin, yeah, do you want to give an introduction to Shukin? Uh, I don't know if I could do him justice, but he's just a sweet man that um, has a sort of uh, a sort of a I don't know, re if renaissance philosophy. He just looks at the world from um, a 30,000 foot level with, I think, peace and love in his heart. Shukin has been a listener for at least 10 years, and um, he started emailing, you know, eight years ago, let's say. And he lives in on Oahu. And um, I was going to Oahu probably six, five or six years ago. And uh, we ended up linking up on the South Shore in Waikiki just briefly. And I'd say for 30 minutes or so and just kind of exchanged pleasantries. And one thing I did learn about him, though, is that he lived in, I think he lived in a Buddhist uh, monastery or temple, or he, he studied Buddhism at least. He lived in Japan. So he's got kind of a very um, worldly life experience and he'll call in occasionally and just offer us some philosophical reflection on something that you and I had discussed. Anyways, this email came in from him about a month ago with this audio clip. Good morning, Brian. How are you? All good. Good. Yeah. Hey, I see you out here at Publix just about every day. How many days a week do you surf? Yeah. As much as I can. <laughs> Unless it's flat. <laughs> How long you been surfing now? Oh, I don't know, for maybe about 50-something years. Oh, God bless you. How old are you now, Brian, if you don't mind me asking? 63. Damn, and you're the fit, you got abs, you got muscles there. Uh, I don't know, getting old, <laughs> slow. <laughs> what do you do to stay in shape um, physically, mentally, to get out in the water? Just take my dogs every morning. I just take them for a short run and just jump in the water, take care of my mom, and just relax. <laughs> yeah. And how do you decide which board you're going to ride? Do you check uh, the forecast or you no, come down? No, just kind of like day by day. I just kind of like see. Yesterday I had some tiny ones, so I bought my smaller board but i don't know today look like got nothing <laughs> i should yeah. have brought my longer board <laughs> yeah just hit or miss i guess for sure for sure uh, yeah well thanks a lot brian all right well you have a good day you take uh, care stay you, blessed uh, brother yeah. aloha to you, man. um did you happen to look at the photographs that he sent of brian no but i'm sensing he's in good shape it's incredible brian is 63 he is uh shredded like it, it, there is first photos him just looking out at the ocean you just see his back and you're like well that's clearly like a 23 year old football player for the for the college you know and then this photo of his front you see his face you go no that's a 73 year old man and his front looks his torso looks the same too so it's incredible i think he said he was 63 what did i say 73 oh yes you're right 63 my mistake um longevity and surfing though yeah we've been, talk we've been talking about it just with your hard 75 and stuff yeah it's it's a it's a it's an uphill battle i mean you gotta commit you gotta commit to it you know like if you don't commit you you'll get to a place where you can easily just like fall away you know like you'll just you'll no longer surf you'll just the waves will be shitty for three weeks and then it'll be kind of mediocre for another week. And before you know it, you're just like not interested. It's just too much to get on that wetsuit and to go into that 58 degree water to surf, you know. Now, luckily, 
Shukin and Brian are blessed with um, warm waters of Hawaii, which it really helps. You know, I heard a guy say, and I've said this to you before, that you should never surf in water that's colder than your age. Mm. And I think there's some truth to that. And so as you get older, you may think about moving to a place with warm water. And goodness gracious, the South Shore of Oahu is a beautiful place to be an old surfer. You know, like you can definitely surf until, you know, if you're into it. The cold water is not going to cold, hold you back because it's it's warm and it's beautiful there, you know? I mean, it makes there's a case, I think, to be made for actually moving and being somewhere where you can do what you love without much resistance. Oh, absolutely. I totally would agree with that. And um, but and you do, you do see that. You do see people moving away to warm locations, either, you know, Mexico or Hawaii or Costa Rica or wherever might make sense, you know, where, so yeah. that happens. Well, I think the point that you make though is important. Um, I think continuing to do like the, the reason to uh, continue to do what you love is that it keeps you young. There's kind of this perpetual, once you're engaged in the activity, it perpetuates the youth and um, the lethargy that you're talking about is a slippery, slippery slope. And once you're on it, I think that your age rapidly declines, you know, yeah. and the older you get, the more rapidly it will decline. Yeah. And so having that commitment to just engage. And I like that. He also said, take the dogs for a run in the morning. And I'm thinking to myself, a walk would be adequate at 63 a walk <laughs> would be adequate right <laughs> but he said no he said a run and it's like wow yeah. that is a commitment that is definitely a a determined thing that he a discipline that he had dictated that it's like a run is what my metabolism and my body needs and once you get done from that run you're much more likely to put good food in your system and you're also much more likely to go check the waves and because you're just on this perpetual cycle at that point. So I like that. Yeah. And a lot of it too, um, there's obviously ego involved. So there's, I'm sure that, and it's gone through my mind before where it's like, you know what, I just don't do this as good as I used to do this. So <clears throat> why am I doing, you know, like there's this thing that I sometimes feel like you have to live up to. And I think as soon as you eliminate that, you've really opened up, um, you know, opportunity for yourself and, and as soon as you acknowledge that hey you know what i'm just not that guy anymore but i can still go out and enjoy the ocean and 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 reap the benefits of it and there's a lot of guys that won't get over that hurdle you know that'll be like i'm not that good and i'm never going to be good again so forget it i'm out it's so funny that you bring that up yesterday i published an episode with bill stewart um he has not gotten over that hurdle. I mean, Bill, Bill, I don't know his, he told me his age. I think he's, he is in his seventies actually. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about like, you know, how much he still surfs and all that sort of stuff. And he said, you know, I've always served really, really well. And like, you get to a point where you're not progressing anymore and it's just really frustrating and you're just not willing to do it. And I'm looking at him going, I'm 30 years younger and I reconciled that 10 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? And maybe you're hitting a different plateau of it in your sixties or whatever, but I don't know, maybe he didn't, maybe he just literally felt like he was getting better in certain ways until he wasn't. And that was a stop point for him. 
Yeah, well, Bill Stewart, I don't know if he still surfs, but he used to be a great surfer. Incredible. Yeah, and I surfed with him and against him in competitions, and he was top notch. And um, but yeah, it's and it's and I understand it. Look, it's like okay, I just don't do this thing as good as I used to. I'm going to move on to something else. But because this thing like encapsulates our identity, but I think even that's kind of weak. Like, I, please don't identify yourself as a surfer. Identify yourself as David or as Scott or as a father or as a husband, you know, as a believer, some of us, you know, and and the other things that you do are just those other things that you do. Now, that being said, getting in the ocean is kind of um it, it, and I, I hate to sound cliche, but it's obviously it has some spiritual foundation. And yeah. so there's a lot more to it than do I look good doing what I'm doing? There's there's the physical, there's the mental, the emotional, the spiritual. There's benefits all the way around. And you can't let one little ego thing hold me back from that. That's exactly what the difference is. I think that is ego needing to progress every time you get in the water and it not being worthwhile unless you progress is absolutely related to ego and it is undercutting all of the other virtues that are inherent in surfing. And so that's, and I do think it's different. I think surfing is different than anything else. And so if you give up surfing and you just are like, oh, I'm really into woodworking now. And that's where I devote my passion to. I think surfing is different. You know, I think there is something different with getting kind of enveloped in mother nature and yeah. um, the whole spiritual process or spirituality aspect of it. Yeah. And so. that's why you guys take up mountain biking. You know, mountain biking is a thing that I see a lot of middle-aged surfers do now. They're like, it's just small and crappy. I can just go out and be in nature and ride and get great exercise and enjoy the. And it's beautiful. Like you get all of the same benefits. Granted, you don't get wet, but, um, you know, and there's other things that guys do. Guys go hunting, you know, yeah. guys go, um, they, you know, we, we just adapt guys to go foiling, <laughs> you know, pick up the foil, try something new. So, um, good for, good for Brian. And it sounds like he's in great shape. And thank you to Shukin for the. I'll bring more Shukin. I mean, here's, what's interesting is in the, he had one minute clip with Brian yeah. and Brian seemed really kind of nonchalant about his answers, but all pull out one other answer. There's a lot that came out of this one minute that I kind of made me think there was a lot of insight. One of the things he said was Shukin said, how do you stay so fit or something to that? Uh, something like that. And Brian said, um, taking the dogs for a run, taking care of my mom and relaxing, taking care of my mom is not an answer that you would think somebody would say. And it almost feels like he just accidentally said it. But when I interviewed Felipe Pomar, and his whole thing is about surfing to 100. One of the tenets about surfing to 100 that he said was uh, being of service to the community and having kind of a tight network of friends and family support and not just friends and family support that you benefit from, but being of service to that community. And so I feel like Brian's response there wasn't just, oh, he was nervous on camera or on you know, on tape. And so he just gave, said what he was doing in the day rather than answering the question. I think right. he was answering the question specifically and saying, taking care of my mom is part of 
what keeps me engaged, active, fit. It's what keeps me in the water, all of that. Yeah. Well, it's true. <clears throat> That's cool. You know, part of the community part of it that Felipe mentioned. And yeah, look, those are those are insights that I don't think of when I'm 40, but 60 and 70 year olds, you know, have learned that and they're offering that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Kelly Slater was given a season wild card by the WSL. Uh, what say you? I, I read this headline right before I went to sleep last night, and I was not surprised at all. I feel like we predicted this six or eight months ago. Um, what say me? Yes. I guess I dealt with it six months ago, and so I'm not surprised by it at all. I feel like Kelly deserves a wild card when the waves are pumping and he's excited to use it and he's actually a threat to the rest of the surfers on tour. Kelly should be given a wild card in events that he could potentially win, right? Yeah. That is the point of a wild card. You want somebody to come in from left field who didn't have to go through the qualification process and upset everything. You want the best surfers in the world competing for number one spot. And so there's certain conditions and locations that Kelly is still the best surfer in the world. So if the waves are pumping at cloud break, awesome. If the waves are pumping at pipe, perfect. If the waves are pumping in at Chopu in Tahiti or Jay Bay, those are the spots that I would offer him a wild card into. We don't know the forecast in advance, but let's go ahead and give him the wild cards into those locations. But to give him the wild card full stop for the entire year over somebody who is kind of on the come up who could rabble rouse and again, progress surfing, I think is a mistake. Um, well, it's a couple of things that you mentioned are interesting. One thing that stands out is if there are spots on tour where if it's pumping, Kelly Slater can't win, that's not Kelly Slater's fault. That's the fault of the spot that they chose to have the event. Right? I don't disagree, but we've hit that. Right. I'm just saying, I'm, I just, I'm not going to beat that up, but I've, I agree. That just kind of speaks to what we've been saying for 10 years. Um, well, no, I, I, so I disagree because lowers has a spot on tour in my mind. I know it's shouldn't be the final event, but let's just say it was on tour. Sunset has, you know, deserves a spot on tour. Kelly's not going to win pumping sunset. So no, what, but, but could he win? I think he could win at pumping no. sunset. And I think he could win at eight foot lowers. No way. Not a chance. All right. Fair enough. You have your opinions. I'll have mine. Let me say this. <laughs> I do think that a spot you didn't mention, if it's eight to 10 feet at Bells, I actually think Kelly can win Bells because Bells is that wave where, I mean, how many times do you see guys doing aerials on the outside sections at, at Bells? You don't. Yeah. It's like, hopefully let's get three big hooks in and, hop through the middle section and get the big banger at the end that's bells and kelly can do that now if it's three to five feet okay you know felipe's gonna do his thing but um i i really wouldn't even bet any amount of money on kelly at bells at this point either i think there was a period of time where he was the guy for bells for sure probably a decade of time yeah. um but i wouldn't there's too many other power surfers that i would put money on at this point or yeah. yeah. All right. Look, fair enough. What is he? 55? How old is he? 50. No, 52. Something like that. Holy he turned God. he turned 50 when he won um pipe. pipe. Yeah, which was yeah. I think two years ago. I'm gonna look up. Let me ask you this. Now. Yeah. Uh I'm looking at the list of 
2024 championship tour surfers. And I want to play a little game with you, David. Okay. This game is called eliminate the lowers loser. And I'm going to go down this list and I want you to tell me if this person can win at lowers or should we eliminate him because he's the lowers loser, because that's really what this comes down to. There's going to be five people at the end of the year, which one can win at lowers. And if you, if I go down this list right now and you tell me there's no way that guy went to lowers, he shouldn't even be on tour. Agreed. So Felipe Toledo. Winner. Ethan Ewing. Winner. Griffin Colapinto. Winner. Chow Chianca. Winner. Jack Robinson. Winner. Gabe Medina. Winner. Yago Dora. Winner. John John Florence. Winner. Leonardo Fiavervante. Loser. A loser. Leo is our first loser. He should not be on tour because there's no way he can win the final five at lowers. Ryan Callanan. Actually, winner. Connor O'Leary. Loser. Connor should not be on tour. Baron Mamiya. Winner. Idola Ferreira. Winner. Kanoa Igarashi. Mm. Right on the cusp, I'm going to go winner. Ian Gentile. Loser. Jordy Smith. That's the toughest oh, call. Like, That's the really? toughest call yet. You think Jordy could win at lowers? If the, Yeah, eight foot lowers, Jordy could still win it. Well, I don't know about that. It's okay. a tough call. If he draws Felipe, that's a really tough call, obviously. In, in that case, he's a loser. I mean, really, this is who can beat Felipe this this game. It is. Loser, <laughs> then. Loser, then. If it's him and Felipe. I mean, kind of, when you think about it, like, really, yeah. Jordy's going to – let's say he's the number one seed. Is he going to beat Felipe two out of three? I mean, look at the tour stops, and is Felipe going to end up in the top five? And if he is, he's winning lowers. Okay. Jordy's a loser. Liam O'Brien. Loser. Kyle Abelli. Loser. Matthew McGivory. Loser. Caleb Robson. Loser. Rhea Wada. Still a loser. Seth Moniz. Loser. Cole Hauschmand. Lowers local, still a loser. Samuel Pupo. He could win it. He could win it. Jacob Wilcox. Loser. Crosby Colapinto. I mean, loser. Eli Hanneman. Winner. Ima Kalani DeVault. Love him, but loser. Frederico Marias. Definitely 32. <laughs> Jake Marshall. Loser. Cade Matson. Loser. David Silva. Loser. Kelly Slater. Loser. Miguel Pupo. Loser. Okay. I think what we've done is we've eliminated the tour. We only really need 20 surfers or less. Eight by my numbers. Well, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, 10, 11. Yeah. We're at like 12. Yeah. 12 surfers. Well, yeah i mean it's a just a flawed um tour 
you know, it's a flawed structure of the tour is kind of what that it's, all highlights, I think. Right. But it is what it is. And so if we play the game, eliminate the lowers loser, we're stuck. We're left with 12 surfers who, by the way, I think could do, you know, would be fine at all of the other events on tour. And once we get to, you know, the final day, there's a chance that they could power their way through and beat Felipe. Yeah. But what's interesting about this game is that um, the same, I think 10 to 12 people would shake out as winners at any venue on the planet. If you gave me those 30 names, it'll be a different 12 names that end up at the top, you know, but it would still be 10 to 12. So out of the 32, if you ran this game at Pipeline, there would be 10 that I say yes to and the rest I say no to. Ran the game at Sunset, it'd be a different 10, but there'd be about 10. And so I think that is kind of the solution is a much smaller tour, but maybe a more flexible in and out of that top 10 and 12 that you can kind of... um, adjust throughout the season well i i think that the real you're right but as we've spoken about they need to select a finals if they're going to continue this format the finals day needs to be at a place that's more equitable to the you know baron mamias of the world to the guys that are no see i don't think so at all i think the waves just need to be pumping like pipe isn't equitable no, but, but what I mean but is, eliminate if, you're, if you're a big guy, and you basically lowers is for guys that that are light and sprightly and do errors. Yeah, agreed. But if we don't need to dictate whether it's equitable or not. I think the only metric is it needs to be world class waves that are only for the most talented surfers on the planet. That every one of us looks at it and goes, I would never be caught dead out there. And then you see John, John, Gabriel, whoever it is, not only, not only, you know, facing that fear and confronting that fear, but dominating, dominating, you know, the most challenging wave on the planet. And so, and toying with and having style while doing it, like that's what we want. And so it doesn't need to be equitable. It doesn't need to be for everybody. And in fact, each venue should pull out different strengths so right. that at pipe, John and Gabe are the guys, but then you go to sunset and all of a sudden Ethan Ewing and Frederico Moran are the guys. No, for <laughs> Frederico doesn't. Boy, dude, there's one event on tour that he was going to win. It's going to be that one. I think, I think he could win sunset. Frederico Marais. He couldn't win it over. I mean, the if you have to pick tour. one, no, if you have to pick one where he's going to win. Next yeah. year, you're going, wow, I can't believe Federico won an event. Which event is it? None. He doesn't win an event. <laughs> That's my point is he he finds himself on tour periodically, and then he takes down John John at low, at a J-Bay when it's pumping somehow. And you're just like, what? How does he keep doing it? So, look, he's got some tools in the tool chest. He's not yeah. going to win an event is my yeah. point. He's, that's no, there's, the always difference. Been, there's always been that guy on tour. Um, Bead Derbich. Yeah, I was going to say Bead was the guy I was thinking of. And then there was like Nathan Webster was that guy for a long time, like in 2002. You know, yeah. there's always the tall, lanky guy like Frederico and Nathan yeah. and uh, Bead that and they're always kind of fair skinned. You know, they look like Prince Harry or something. <laughs> Except Frederico. Um, but so my point, though, is that you're making my point for me is that Frederico's not going to win the event. All those guys, they are, and I mean, bead one events, but um, 
they are the bottom 20 is kind of what we're talking about. And they're good enough because there's so many heats throughout the year, they are going to win over the John Johns occasionally, just because that's the way that the stats work. But that's a disservice to the progress of the tour. That's not progression, you know? So anyways, part of what's wrapped up in what you're talking about is that the Challenger series just wrapped up in Sakurama. And so the new tour has been solidified. The qualifiers have qualified seven new surfers are entering the tour and seven um, re-qualified surfers are joining the tour once again. So on the men's side, Cole Hauschman, Cade Madsen, Eli Hanneman, Jacob Wilcox, Cros- uh, Crosby Colopinto, and then on the women's side, Sawyer Lindblad, Alyssa Spencer, all qualify for the CT for the first time. And then Sally Fitzgibbons, India Robinson, uh, Isabella Nichols, Jake Marshall, Emi Kalani Duvall, Samuel Pupo, David Silva, and Federico Morais re-qualify for the championship tour. And uh, just for note, Samuel Pupo and Aaron Brooks won that event at Sakurama. Uh, you know who didn't make it on tour that was on tour this time last year? No. Nat Young, Kolohe, Jadson, Jackson Baker, Maxime Husano, Ramsey Bukheim, who was injured, Michael Rodriguez, and Zeke Lau. That's who is not involved this year that at this time last year was wow. on. Interesting. Well, there's a couple of other surfers just below that cut line that I would have loved to see make it up above. Um, Mateus Hurdy being one of them. Yeah. Morgan uh, Morgan Siblick, I don't need to see again, but you know he was exciting and he's just off the cut line. Michael Rodriguez was only one spot out. Jackson Baker was three spots out. So Nolan Raposa down at 18th, I expect to see more of him in the coming year. Um, but oh, Mateus... Nolan's got to be 20. Oh, that's all. Did he have a brother or is his dad? Maybe I'm thinking of his dad or something. His dad, Craig, maybe. Uh, Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, There could have been. The bottom line is there's too many guys on tour. There's just too many. I butchered that for a long time. But anyway. Not too many girls on tour, though. The girls' numbers seem to be just about right. By the Uh, way, that brings up another thing. If they're all talking about equality how come there aren't 36 women on tour if there's 36 men and or let's just cut it down to 18 men and 18 women great question i don't understand that tweeted at the wsl (laughs) exit exit at the wsl it's really hard to get Uh, past the wall of positive noise i know it is um well aaron brooks who won the event finished ninth just three or four spots out of contention Um, we expect to see more of her next year, probably, but she was also vying for an Olympic, um, spot for team Canada. So teenage prodigy, Aaron, this is from, uh, Canadian broadcast network, uh, CBC Canadian broadcast channel. What is the C communications? I'm not sure. Teenager surfing prodigy, Aaron Brooks has had her bid for Canadian citizenship turned down by the federal government. The 16-year-old Brooks was born in Texas, grew up in Hawaii, but as Canadian <laughs> ties, listen, Canadian <laughs> ties through her American-born father Jeff, who has dual American-Canadian citizenship and a grandfather who was born and raised in Montreal. Brooks had hoped to secure her citizenship and represent Canada at next year's Paris Olympics. But the ongoing snafu means that she had to miss the Pan American Games, which opened Friday in Chile, 
and offer and offers the winner an Olympic berth. She had won silver at the ISAs in El Salvador and in June, the gold at the ISA World Junior Championships. But Canadians' citizenship laws are complex and amendments changing the rules in 2015 essentially meant that an extension of citizenship to second born, uh, second generation born abroad would not be considered. Yeah, it's funny. I actually um, was looking into getting Canadian citizenship recently. <laughs> really? Hard. Yeah, I was. Why? I was just, and we were just interested for like, what would it take to move to Canada? You know, and get benefit from their healthcare system or what? Just, you know, just like what, if it was an option that like, what does it look like? You know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, there's many reasons for it. Um, healthcare, um, and just, you know, the climate here is the political climate here is a little bit off. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you got to live there. Like you got, you have to live there before you even have a chance. You got to just have spent five or seven years minimum just yeah. living there as a resident, but not a citizen. Yeah. Then you might be able to, to buy in, but it's pretty hard. Like, it's not as simple as, Oh, I'm just going to be a Canadian. Good. <laughs> so my, my answer to that is Sounds good. Sounds like they've built something that people they want have. and they're not going to let people just come in and bilk the system and good for them for not letting Aaron Brooks <laughs> either compete for their country in the Olympics. Because when we've heard these stories in the past, uh, the last Olympics, yeah. it's like, it, we're, it's like, oh, so-and-so surfing for, you know, Germany or whatever. And it's like, what? How? That doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. It felt like a sham. The Olympics yeah. should be homegrown like this is our country has these kind of um this you know climate and allows somebody to excel in whatever this thing is that only exists on the ice and so we are the best at this thing but maybe that person's the best at running or that country produces the best runners like that's what it should be it should not be gaming the system to just win a gold medal i'm hoping for ice fishing as an olympic sport that would be pretty cool (laughs) Um, let me ask you this, though. Um, are you for or against, like, for instance, Russia as a nation state is not allowed to have athletes, but the International Olympic Committee will allow Russian athletes to compete, but they can't show the Russian flag nor play the Russian national anthem. Are you OK with that? I don't know. I haven't thought too deeply about it. So they're, I, I'm not even aware of it. So they're allowing the Russian Russian as a nation, the Russian athletes to compete. They're just not allowed to represent visibly. Yeah, they can't, they can't have the Russian flag. They can't have Russian colors. They can't have ru- the Russian national anthem play. They're just like this ambiguous. I don't even know what they call it. They have a name for it. But um, well, So I guess I do have an opinion then, because this goes back to what I said earlier it's giving more attention to the Russians somehow by creating this extra rule that applies and defining them as different. It now amplifies the Russian. I think there should be consequences for the nation state where you live. Um, You know, either so evil that they're not even allowed into the Olympics, then you aren't either. That's yeah. 
<laughs> that's kind of, I, that's what my point is like, either let them compete, but then they compete by the exact same parameters that everybody else does, or yeah. don't let them compete and make a stand. Yeah. It seems weird to allow them to, but just not allow oh, yeah. them to put yeah. a flag up. That's yeah. weird. So is that happening? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been happening for a while and that will continue to happen. Yeah. You know, the, on the other side of the argument, you get people saying, well, sport brings people together and and if you bring people together you know there's better perhaps better chance that some of these issues will be overcome through the fellowship and the good sportsmanship and the you know on the other end of this whole thing it could be beneficial to the nation state because friendships were formed and international alliances and Maybe you should change your stance on invading Ukraine now that this person was allowed into the Olympics or whatever. Well, I think that's very optimistic and idealistic, but it might be overlooking a long history of um, (laughs) (laughs) a long history of behavior that would indicate future behaviors. And so that might be a misstep, too. Um, Have you ever known any Russians personally? I don't think I have. Have you? Yeah. I worked in a restaurant for a few years, right at the end of high school and after high school. And there was a Russian family that worked in the back of the house, like in the kitchen. And uh, the father washed dishes and the two sons worked in the kitchen. And um, they were similar ages to me. So, you know, 18, let's say to 22, the two boys. And, uh, it was a really interesting, culturally interesting experience. I mean, a lot of the stereotypes that Americans have towards Russians were accurate, like very stern, very hard nosed, very unforgiving. And they all, the dad less so, but they all kind of softened, I think, over the couple of years that I knew them. And I think, uh, you know, became a little bit more Americanized, let's say, but they still, I mean, they come from such a unforgiving climate, you know, uh, literally like climate, but also political climate and all that sort of stuff that they're kind of always on guard. And I feel like they're always feeling as though they might be taken advantage of. So they're not willing to give an inch or even give a smile or anything like that. And then I felt like we're also quick to try to take advantage of any little situation that they might get a chance to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And we're, I'm also talking about a family who, you know, uh, was lower on the socioeconomic scale. So they needed f- basic kind of things and um, were, you know, that I just kind of took for granted, I think. So it was a really interesting experience. It only validated some of the stereotypes, but it was also humanized Um people who I had not, you know, had personal interaction with before. Yeah, it's hard to to paint, you know, a, just a small family um, with sort of a broad brush of, of our um, perceptions of what somebody from that nation state would be like or should be like, or, you know, it's, but oftentimes those things come through. And I think that's true for Americans. I think if people from France met me, they'd be like, yeah, that guy's loud, brash, and rude. <laughs> you know, and I'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> Why is he right driving? It was my lift- way. What's the problem here? <laughs> Why is he driving a lifted truck and blasting his music? No, I was driving 
was this little teeny rental car and I didn't know what I was doing. I was looking at my phone, trying to get around and people were honking and flipping me off. I, so dude, I, I left. Was like, Lots of tourists. I, it was in Portugal and I went to dinner. Like I was by myself in the rental car, went to dinner at night and people were honking at me, like shaking their fist and stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to get to dinner. And this dude on a motorcycle pulled up right next to me. We were moving. It wasn't even at a stoplight. We were moving. And he starts slamming the front, the hood of my car and pointing. I realized my headlights weren't on. Oh my God. <laughs> what are these people? Don't they know I can drive without headlights? I'm an American. I, I was so flummoxed by just the experience of being in a different country. I forgot to turn my headlights on. You know, I got in the car and I'm like pulling up the map of where do I go? It's all windy streets. And so I just somehow forgot to turn my headlights on. And there's so many other cars on the road and streetlights that just, I didn't need them, you know, except everybody else needed my headlights to be on. You know, what's super gnarly is in France. They probably have this in Portugal too, because it's throughout Europe, but the roundabouts, right? And they're huge roundabouts. They're massive. These are huge intersections where there's like seven or eight turnoffs off of the roundabout. And you've yeah. got to get into a certain lane and you're not sure if you yield. And oh, by the way, you're driving the wrong direction according to your culture. And it's just out of control. I got a lot of, lot of people mad at me in the roundabouts trying to figure out what I was doing. Because you're looking at your ways too. Your ways is like, Turn on Rue de la Paul and you're like, what? Yeah. Well, if if you are on a left side driving country, like in England or Britain, your st stick shift's on the wrong hand too. So if you're if you're driving manual, so you've got, you're on the wrong side of the road, stick shift's on the wrong side. You've got your GPS, which you're now using with your other hand, which is also using the stick shift. It becomes very confusing. Oh my God. But once you figure out those roundabouts, they're far superior it's like, this is way better than an intersection with a light that you have to stop at. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with that. I'm a big fan. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Back to the Russian conversation just real quickly. It's interesting how uh, every like everybody is obviously like 
anti-racism Americans especially are like we have to kind of deal with racism it's very bad like no more racism except that at any given time there's always one country that is okay to just blatantly <laughs> be against right that now it's Russia. Russia right now it's Russia it was like the Middle East for a long time or Afghanistan yeah. maybe specifically for a long time where it's yeah. just like even the most woke liberals are still like F those guys, you know, they're like F Russia. It's okay. Go in hard against Russia. It's okay to hate that entire nation of people. I have heard somebody that, that I highly respect. That's pretty worldly. Basically say, Hey man, Russians are cut from a different cloth. Like they're not nice people. And I mean, like it's almost genetic or something. Again, I'm just, I don't mean to, I'm sure there are very sweet Russian people out there. And I'm, I'm hoping that, they're all turning off this podcast 10 minutes oh ago. What is the so. Russian listenership like? I'd have to look it up. Hey, um, I got a question for you. Hit me. If you saw a sign posted that says, large shark was seen here. And this is after a surfer had just gotten attacked the day before. And it almost had his leg taken from him. Would you paddle out? Does a sign that tells you that a shark's in the area deter you from paddling out? If it's at my local beach, no. But if it's at somewhere like J Bay or West Oz that's known for being sharky, hell yeah. Yeah. Where was this? Hanalei and Kauai. Yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to stay out of the water that day. Even more, I sense that, and I'm not a shark expert, obviously. In fact, I'm not an expert at anything for the record. But uh, tiger sharks, they seem to be a little more territorial from what I understand, a little bit more like this is where I live. This is my hunting area where great whites at Jay Bay or great whites in Western Oz, I sense that they are more transitory perhaps, but I sense that tiger sharks are like, dude, I've been living here for 40 years and I'm still living here and I eat turtles here and you might look like a turtle to me. I'm not leaving. Yeah, there. I think there is evidence to back up a certain maybe it's maybe you're right it is territorial but i think also just a certain volatility that exists with tiger sharks yeah um, and I, I mean i don't think i've ever paddled out there and not thought about a massive tiger shark underneath me that's <laughs> yeah always in the back of your head there yeah you know i was thinking it's a great pr campaign if you lived somewhere that you don't want people to come surf and there's never been a shark attack, but you just start a full PR campaign about sharks, yeah. put signs on the beach, go ahead and feed a news story over to Beach Grit and just be like, man, somebody got attacked here last week. <laughs> Some AI generated horrific injury, mm-hmm. you know, just be like, where is he? We still haven't even found him. We think exactly. he was eating alive. Exactly. Yeah. I think that would be the strategy if I ended up somewhere nice in retirement that I don't want people to come to. Well, let me just say that 50-year-old Kauai resident Kevin Kanahe was attacked by a 15-foot tiger shark while surfing at Hanalei. He almost lost his leg. Thankfully, Kevin's on uh, the rebound here. And um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that, that we're stoked that Kevin's safe and getting better. I stopped by the um, California Surfing Museum, or maybe it's just California Surf Museum in Oceanside. Yeah. And uh, they actually have Bethany Hamilton's board on display that she was the one with the bite mark missing. Yeah, that's great. It's crazy. It's it's that's probably the single hand. That's the most famous surfboard in the world. I think. Like I've I've asked for them, and they have in the past um, brought that board out of the museum and put it on display at the boardroom show, and it's just like 
It just blows up the show. It's like the talk of the show. You know, it's it's a really good display. Well, it looks like a movie prop. You know, yeah. like it's a perfect bite. I know. <laughs> and the board is still intact otherwise, but it's it goes all the way to the string or maybe beyond it, that bite mark. And so to think that she only lost her arm is actually kind of surprising. I mean, can you imagine a wild animal grasping a hold of your arm and tearing it off its limb? Like, like, like literally within 10 seconds, you don't have an arm anymore, like, or less, like, boom. And you're just like, what the fuck? Oh my God, what's going on? Like that girl, Bethany Hamilton, she's a, she's a woman now. She's got four children, for goodness sake. She's probably, I bet she's 38 years old or something. But it seems like it was just yesterday that this happened. You know, I think it was like 2003 or something, maybe. Maybe. It doesn't seem like it was 20 years ago, but it was. And she's an amazing, amazing person. I, you know, my hat is always off to Bethany Hamilton because she's just, she's amazing. She's well, perhaps the most famous woman surfer in the world. Yeah, like where for sure. put her like with like Gidget, Bethany, um, who's the next? Like, is there anyone even like is Lisa Anderson like there or like or, or I think at this point Steph Gilmore? Like, where do you rank the most famous women surfers? Carissa and Steph might be tied for third, but there's a pretty big chasm between two and three, just because Bethany has Hollywood movies made about her and documentaries and stuff like that. Is Gidget or or Bethany? Who's the most famous, Gidget or Bethany, as far as women surfing? Bethany. Yeah. Probably just because of pop culture is a little bit more uh, diverse and robust now than it was. And there's a lot of people who aren't really sure who Gidget is that are, you know, 18 year olds, but they all know who Bethany is. I'm sure a lot of people have heard the name Gidget. They just don't associate it necessarily with who Gidget actually was, you know, but Bethany, Bethany's whole story arc came about at a time where media was a lot more robust and far reaching than Gidget. So more people would know about her now. Um, But there was a Gidget TV show. There was a Gidget movie and a Gidget book. But the numbers that those that they reached at that time was so much smaller. Yeah. Um, But Bethany, the idea, though, that you look at that board, the idea of getting your arm, losing it in those mere moments that you're talking about, and then having the wherewithal upon seeing it to scramble back to the beach. I mean, or for where she was surfing tunnels on Kauai, it's a long paddle out, you know, and so that's um, all of that just becomes so harrowing to think about. And then, of course, all of her accomplishments and surfing that she's done since then is incredible. But what about men? Like, if I was to say to you, who's the most famous man in the world? Surfer. It would be Laird or Kelly would be. Yeah, I I agree. And that's why I was thinking to myself, okay, so again, you've got two, only one of them is a competitive surfer. The other one is known for something completely different. And the way that Bethany and Gidget, you know, they're not competitive surfers, you know. Which, by the way, good. Like the fact that competitive surfing has dominated so much of your and my conversation or even your and my surf experience is kind of um, a misstep in our own journey with surfing, you know, like, yeah. it, cause it, it's not like, it's a small thing. Yeah. It's, and it's borderline, not even a sport <laughs> and it's borderline, not even surfing, you know, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's nothing to do with the surf experience. Yeah. There's no kelp. There's no like 
putting sand on the wax of your board in the morning. There's no, you know. Well, by the way, uh, I, <laughs> yeah, my mom's showing up, I think, oh, for okay. yeah. child care duties. So that's sure. why the dog's barking. I don't need to go. They've got okay. it handled. But um, what I was going to say is that pipe has been pumping just prior to our last show, but throughout this past week, it should yeah. have been what we led this conversation with today. And what's mm -hmm. interesting about it is as I've, you know, uh, pulled up stab and beach grit and surf line and stuff throughout the week, it's not even a lead story in any of those media outlets either. Yeah. It's only a lead story on Instagram. And I think that is a misstep of surf media at this point. That should be the main focus. That should be what's number one on everybody's thing. And it's not, it's just crazy. But in a weird way, maybe that's good too. You know, like selfishly, well, surfers are the worst. I mean, the more they're not talking about actual surfing and they're actually talking about celebrity and yeah, and pseudo culture, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe <laughs> you're right. And the, the reality is there's no story there. You know, pipe pumping isn't a story. And if you want to watch the clips, you do see them on Instagram. So maybe yeah. stab or whoever doesn't need to publish the clips. But I don't know. It feels like a story. Like the non-story oh, of it story. is just it's a story. I mean, swells are stories. I think swells are stories. I think pumping surf is a story. It's um, you know, is there a conflict there? Um, yeah, I'm sure you could probably find some, but it's it's kind of more like weather, you know, it's like weather's a story. It's not the greatest story, but every day weather's a story. Like it's happening, like that's it's raining outside, like that's something that you need to tell people. You know um, what I mean? Did you see Benji Brand's clip? I think I, it did. It's super late it, drop. Yeah. I mean, obviously, but yeah, I did see it. It's just, it's mean, but it's super perfect pipe, but it's like he takes same. off. Yeah. He he's gets, like, it's as if he wasn't quite on the peak. Maybe he was paddling back out. And then the wave of the day happened to be, uh, he happened to be in position for it. So he kind of goes not. Not, a third of the way through. Yeah. Do, yeah. Exactly. A third of the way through. Basically where the barrel is fully heaving is where he's taking off rather yeah. than taking off on the peak and getting into that. So yes. he's taking off where it's heaving and he really, he doesn't free fall drop. He has just a half an inch of rail in the water controlled by his toes and fins not engaged or anything. So he kind of like just knifes in and catches a little bit of a side slips like swivel thing. And then engages right as all of his weight is collapsing onto his board and somehow like maintains. And then he's fully in the pit and rides it perfectly and gets spat out. And it's like, wow, okay, year five of Benji Brand not having a sticker on his board and us barely remembering his name and getting the wave of the winter on the first swell of the winter. The that's kid cool. deserves everybody's recognition at this point. Yeah, that's cool. And and it's really powerful that there was such a good swell in mid-October that really brought out, like, it was kind of like a an early homecoming for everybody. You know, I know the the Florence brothers, you know, all of the pipe guys were like, cool, man, it's on early. And, and it was mean. And it was a little bit, I don't want to say unruly, but the sand wasn't, you know, it wasn't just all reef. There was some, some stuff to deal with. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Definitely good stuff. And um, I also want to shout out a Duke this week, which we haven't done in a while, but uh, chapter 11, obviously Dane Reynolds, little project brand that he's got going up in Ventura. 
they just started a new campaign and a t-shirt <laughs> slogan that is no sets for soft tops. <laughs> <laughs> no sets for soft tops. That's, uh, you know, I don't gospel know. Is what that is. Gospel. It, gospel. It's gospel. It's gospel. It is. It is gospel. But what do you, you know? No set for soft tops with an accompanying video of a bunch <laughs> of dudes on soft tops getting <laughs> smashed in shore break and stuff or on set waves. And so it is pure comedy and it's um it's the message that we need yeah, in it's this. It's a pretty moment. good message. I gotta say, it's a pretty good message. Um, no sets for soft tops. What will it lead to? Will it lead to uh if you see a guy, David, on a soft top at a spot that has a prime takeoff zone, a reef wave, are you going to just go on him because no sets for soft tops? Or are you gonna just flip around? And not a care in the world, drop straight in on him, stuff him hard, look back at him, laugh, and pull into the tube. It is mandated, and so I must abide. Okay. Dane Reynolds, Dane Reynolds has written the law in stone. I right. must abide. It's not even up to me anymore. And if right. that soft topper has anything to say after the fact, I'm going to point north to Ventura. Just be like, take it to chapter 11 retail shop in Ventura and go submit your complaint there and read the t-shirt when you walk in because it has been written. Yeah. Dane is like Moses. It's like the tablets are being chiseled up there at the retail store in Ventura. Is it in Ventura or is it in Santa Barbara? That Ventura. Yeah. And well, he's getting faded, dude. I'm like, I'm going to ruin the wave. I'm actually going to go if it's a right and he's taken off with priority, I'm going left down to the bottom and maybe I'll ruin the right and it'll run off without me, but it's been written. Okay. So it's implement the law, no matter what the, the law must, must be implemented and enforced, even if it means, uh, you know, not the greatest outcome for your particular portion of the ride. Yep. Doing the Lord's work is what I'm doing, but here's wow, the deal. <laughs> here's the deal. <laughs> yeah. What I love about the slogan is it's not saying no soft tops allowed. Welcome. Right. Come on, come in. But there's a place in the lineup for you. And uh, don't try to then go out to the peak. No sets for soft tops. No sets for soft tops. It does have, there is like a, it is a little bit more, I don't know, fair, I guess. I want it not quite fair, but they are allowing. There are, it's inclusive. It's inclusive. It inclusive, yeah. but know your spot. Um, and then a uh, must-see moment this week is uh, Clay Marzo's Three Days in the Desert, which are apparently outtakes from the new Snapped 5 that will be coming out, the Snapped series of films. And oh. um, Clay Marzo's Surfing Desert Point for three days. Oh. And getting burned by some people and then just burning people flagrant <laughs> flagrantly because he's Clay oh. Marzo. Oh, no. But, I've never seen anybody so well suited to a wave as Clay Marzo is to Desert Point. It is unbelievable. I mean, the way that he uh, leans back, frontside laybacks into the barrel, the way that he pumps, the way that he hits the brakes in okay, all of the right moments. Did you just push play on it? I did. Is <laughs> um, he's just incredible? He's a maestro, you know, in his prime, doing his work. So it's pretty incredible to watch. Yeah, he's, oh my God, yeah, he's having fun. 
That's cool. That guy's amazing. He really is. I'm I'm watching it. I'm getting fired up for Indo. Yeah. Um, so that's all I've got for this show, but I do want to say should have said it when we were talking about 63 year old Brian, who looks uh, like a 23 year old testosterone up male is that uh drink one.com slash surf is always with us as well. And it's keeping you and I healthy and well throughout the winter season. Heck yeah, man. I love my AG one. I'm big on my AG one. I drink it every day. And um, I tell you what, I get all my, my nutrients, my vitamins, everything, uh, that I need for a healthy day ahead of me with my AG one and it's organically sourced and it's super easy to, it tastes great. I, I like it. I just pound it and have my breakfast. It's, it's a great way to maintain optimum health. I know we don't even need to belabor it because it's not belabored in our daily activities. It's just a super simple thing that kind of is part of our life and has been for years now and is part of our success, I'd say. So anybody who wants to reach optimal kind of health, wellness, performance, go to drinkag1.com slash surf. Check out, read up for yourself, do all the research yourself, but use our portal, which is slash surf, and that supports our work. So drinkag1.com slash surf and of course trees wax we talk about all the time now uh petroleum free surf wax why wouldn't you treeswax.com yeah look i've got my trees wax beanie which is my favorite beanie and what you have here is performance-based super sticky wax that oh yeah by the way organically sourced from rocks rocks and trees who knew yeah go figure the givers of um tacky surf adhesive (laughs) trees wax yeah, trees wax, baby. Right on, Scott. Well, hey, uh, look, yeah, great how are you doing After the boardroom show, have you wound down? Are you feeling good about it? Yeah, for God, well, the, probably. I mean, uh, the 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 vibe on the street is the best show ever, the best show we've ever done. So, um, and that's not about me. That's about all the exhibitors that showed up and um, that put on a, a great show. So, thanks to all the exhibitors and to, of course, U.S. Blanks, our sponsor and. Um, it was just great seeing the whole surfboard manufacturing industry under one roof, celebrating the surfboard. So it was good. Yeah. And we're gearing up for next October. It's going to be good. Crazy. Yeah. So it definitely kudos to the exhibitors who really put their heart and soul into the boards that they brought, but also kudos to the listeners or the attendees who showed up and bought the surfboards too, because that was the yeah. other thing is like more surfboards sold than I'd ever seen before. And yeah. so the exhibitors themselves really felt validated by the work that they had put in. Yeah, look, it's a surfboard marketplace. It's a great place. Like our listener got his new Colby suit. I bought two suits for my best friends. Um, Brad and Pat both got suits. And um, there was a, a bunch of good stuff to buy. It's surfboard marketplace, the boardroom show. And uh, look, we're a year away from, from next year's show. So you're already working on it? Oh, yeah. Take some time off, man. Well, you know, if you just do a little bit here and there, you know, reach out to some people. All right. You do you. Don't listen. Okay. Look, until next time, David. Adios and aloha. I've been warped by the rain, driven by the snow. I'm drunk and dirty, don't you know? And I'm still willing. And I was out on the road late at night. I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice. Dallas, Alice. And I've been from Tucson to Tucumcari To Hatcher Beat a Tone Above Driven every kind of rig that's ever been made
road so I wouldn't get way And if you give me weed, white sand, wine And you show me a the wind, robbed by the sleet, had my head stoved in, but I'm still on my feet, and I'm still really smuggled some smokes and folks from Mexico, baked by the sun every time I go to Mexico, and I'm still, and I've been from Tucson to Tugumgarry. Say.